A podcast where we go one-on-one with fiction creators, such as authors, filmmakers, actors, songwriters, and more. Each episode, we get the inside scoop on our guests' creative process, the ups and downs of their industries, and our guests also give out tips and tricks that help them become successful. And now, let's jump into the episode with your host, Chris C.L. Lowry. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Fiction Addiction Podcast. My next guest came into this world in the great year of 1980, and her life has been a whirlwind of adventure ever since. She loves books and has been an avid reader since her school age years. Writing has always been a part of her life, but she never thought it would take her to the position that she is in now. When she isn't writing, she has a full-time career as a registered nurse Working her way up the ladder, her nursing career began as a certified nursing assistant and licensed practical nurse. She has always had a passion for helping others as her mother was a nurse. In addition to writing, she loves to read, go to the beach, and also draw and sketch. She aspires to become a screenwriter as well as a movie director and currently resides in Florida with her two children and her Shih Tzu, Jim Brown, a.k.a. Brownie, Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Carmel McGriff. Sarah, what's going on? Oh, not much, not much. It's just um so thankful and blessed to be a part of this opportunity, uh, and so- I thank you for the interview. I appreciate uh, thank it. Thank I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. So, um, first and foremost, 2020 has to be one of the most scary, oh, emotional... Man unpredictable years ever there is so much going on from the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic to the continuation of racism and social injustice that seemed to explode after the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Sharp Brooks, so many others at the hand of police officers both former and current so how are you managing through everything that's going on not only as a black woman but as a mother and as one of our essential workers, our frontline heroes during this pandemic. You know, it's so hard to stay away from these topics, especially when you're bombarded with them on a daily basis, especially with social media. And then you're out here working in the field with, um, you know, some of your clients or patients that look just like you that are going through the situation. So, I mean, it's just, and, and it can wreak havoc on your mental, um, your mental oh, health, your mental strength, your, um, and just a whole, your, your whole physical being. Cause once your, your mental capacities break down, then the whole body starts breaking down. And so right. I just, I, I, I get up every morning. I pray, you know, I have an 18 year old son and I mm. fear for his life. Whenever he leaves this house, I'm constantly praying over him. I'm telling right. him to watch his surroundings. I'm telling him to, you know, to be careful about how he approaches people because, you know, this is a rough time. People are on the edge. You don't know what's going on in a person's life right now. I mean, right. You could, they, they could just be that one little thing that could just set someone off and we can, um, you know, you just, you, you have another, um, Ahmad, um, Barry, um, 
incident or another George Floyd incident or another oh, Breonna Taylor incident. Not 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 just with the police, but with anybody in general, whether anybody. it be yeah. African American or, you know, Caucasian or any other race. So, you know, it's it's imperative that we as a as a society we just be mindful of other people, be respectful, um, you know, just try to keep the hatred and, you know, the the racism and everything to a minimum, but it's hard to do that when we're living in a society where we have a leader who is perpetuating a lot of, you know, this white supremacy, thinking that it's okay for, you know, certain people to talk down or harass or, you know, just come at minorities in a way where, you know, there's little to no consequences and repercussions for it so you know it's it's important for african-americans to talk to the people to talk to each other to talk to our communities and um the people in our communities and just keep them mindful of their surroundings and what's going on with them and you know just it's really bad um it just it's it's really hard already for african-americans you know we're we're highest with un- in unemployment um we don't have health insurance mm-hmm. and then you have all of this other stuff going on it just it, it makes the situation worse i mean it just you, you just right, have people absolutely. that's on the edge and a, and and at a breaking point and not and you just have to you know despite everything you know 2020 is not over yet i mean it, it seems like every month is, <laughs> it needs to be always happening. <laughs> exactly it's like every month or every month or every day something's always happening oh like and you know you're sitting back like how um yeah you're sitting back well, well, well how worse can you know this get you know we got now oh, july right. and they were looking into august so i'm sitting like i was telling my friend today well, I wonder what's going to happen in August. I'm just waiting around to see what kind of catastrophe is going to happen in August. I'm like, I'm hoping and praying right, that yes. it goes up from here. But, man, we, we, we've been hit with every whammy that just unthinkable. Like, it just a smaller virus just brought everybody down to his knees. So, yeah. to their knees. Whole so world. Yeah. Yes. What what has been one of the most surprising things um, this year, in your opinion? Because I, I know it's so much is the unemployment rate. That's that's just ridiculous how high it is. You know what I mean? Some places closing businesses for good. All the deaths, even yeah. all the deaths that are occurring, just oh my gosh! Like this year. So, what is one of the most surprising things that has uh, taken you back? Um, this year. It's taken what has really taken me back is the number, um, the the demographics of the people that I take care of in the hospitals at this moment. Um, you know, people would think that this whole coronavirus thing is affecting the elderly. I mean, it is, but it's also affecting you know our twenty to forty nine year old population in mm. drastic ways. Um. This past weekend when I worked, all of my patients were in their 40s and 50s really? um, with coronavirus. Um, we had to actually send one to, you know, you know, not put out personal information on that, but one guy we right, just right. had to send to ICU because he just was unable to breathe. Um, you know, 
we're we're intubating these people, these young people at this age, at this at this young age, they're being intubated. They can't breathe. There's um, it's 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 really rough right now. And this is something that you know we're used to seeing in you know elderly people whose right. are already compromised. But um, it's just crazy how this virus has really completely taken over and doing detrimental damages to young people. And, you know, people need to understand, you know, this is not a joke. Uh, We're not, it just, it behooves me how I'm seeing people on television or people are upset because, you know, we're their rights are being infringed on because they are forced to wear a, a mask or they're forced to quarantine and all it's crazy, right? It's crazy. Because it's a health issue. Day, like, it's crazy. Yes. I mean, if you see what I see every day, you will want to put on a mask. You will want to stay home. Right. You will not right. want to be out just socializing, just to be socializing. I mean, you go out, do what you need to do that's pertinent, and then you come back home because people are dying. And I mean, it's. And they're dying at alarming rates. And until you see what I see or other healthcare workers, and I mean, we're, it's, it's sad. We're overwhelmed. We're overworked. Uh, we're understaffed. It's, 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 very, it's, it's very stressful. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot to, to take on and to deal with. And then when healthcare workers go home, they still have to deal with, you know, the stresses at home, their families. You know, they might be dealing mm-hmm. with you know, a spouse or children who are sick or may have lost, you know, their job and they're not able to, you know, adequately provide. But it's it's just really, it's sad. It, it just saddens me how young people in this hospital um, that I'm seeing right now in these hospitals and it's, 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 it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. Right. right. Crazy. So how, how has, the quarantine affected you as a parent, like with the homeschooling. Um, I know you said the 18 year old, was this his last year in high school? Yeah, this was his last year of high school. And that was just really hurt, hurtful That's for tough. them, you know, to have right. all of their, you know, they didn't experience what we got a chance to experience. Their whole prom was canceled. Wow. Um, graduation. They put that back all the way to December. Um, you know, they were looking forward to, you know, their grad bash at Disney World. That got canceled. So wow. it's just, um, you know, they had like a little drive through thing. But, you know, there is nothing is. There's nothing like gathering and having a traditional graduation with a traditional prom like what we had. So, you right. know, that, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, that that is a milestone. And they were forever remember this as oh the mm-hmm. year the coronavirus destroyed everything you know that it destroyed our milestone we, we didn't get an opportunity right. to um do that so you know i've talked to my son about it and you know i just try to watch him and watch his behavior i mean he says he's okay with it but i know deep down inside him and his friends are not okay with everything that just happened but you know you know it's it is what it is. It's just, yeah. you know, these are kids that were born when, you know, the, the twin towers blew up, and now, eighteen, nineteen mm. years later, this they're they're dealing with another tragedy all over again with this coronavirus pandemic, 
And um, mm. I also have a 10-year-old, and she's um 10-year-old going on 40, I guess. <laughs> she's, she's very... <laughs> She she's pretty much um you know she 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 suffered from it too she didn't want to leave her friends and she yeah, yeah. the whole homeschooling thing was I I would say a disaster because <laughs> they're not used to you know they're they're not used to sitting in front of a computer all day all day right <laughs> homework and then parents are stressed and having to work and. You know, thank God I have my parents here to help me. But you know that they're, they're in their sixties and seventies. They're retired. They're they're not. They don't know anything about computers. They having to you yeah. know Zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Zoom meetings and all this other stuff. They're they're not used to that. So you know, it was a it was a struggle all together to try to get the online thing. And um, and I I just feel sad for the teachers who were just forced into that that situation yeah, no warning. of having to prepare, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, this, this, this online curriculum. And, and I, I feel like with the cases getting worse and our government's trying to force us to go back to school in August, I, it's going to be a disaster trying oh, to keep up with social distancing, especially with the class, um, with, with the number of children in classroom. It's just not, it's, it's not feasible. It's not realistic. Um, you know, they're wanting kids to go back with these masks on. I mean, can can you imagine a child keeping a mask on all day? All day, right? Every I day <laughs> for the Every whole day, year, five days a week. No, I can know that exactly. I mean, I have to wear a mask a whole twelve hours at work right. so i i can't and I'm, i'll be about to suffocate then so <laughs> i can't imagine <laughs> exactly i mean the only time i get to take my mask off is for my 30 minute lunch break if i do even I'm about get to one. To eat that's but, it right yeah, yeah exactly. if you even get it just just <laughs> exactly if i can get it because it's hard out here but you know you can't um you can't expect children to do that and then Teachers are already stressed out. It's just it, it's it, it really is a lot. It's it's too much, and it's it's just wrecking havoc on our nation. Period. Right. So how how has this pandemic affected you as a business owner, as a, as an author, your brand? Because so many authors do expos um throughout the year. So many of them have been canceled. They do readings, public speaking events. Obviously, all that stuff has been canceled. Mm-hmm. So have you been affected? Yes, I have been affected. I was actually supposed, I released my book in February, um, Mind Under Troubled Waters. I was actually supposed to do a um, book launch in March, but um, down mm. here in Florida, where I live at, they started, so the, the businesses started shutting down, you know, their um, their places where you can host the parties and stuff at. So um, all of that got canceled. And then you know, people are, you know, people were afraid to be around other people. They didn't want to, you know, come out and be within, you know, a group of large group of people. So you really can't, and you really can't expect that. And I really don't blame them for that because we really didn't know, you know, the detriments of the coronavirus until basically it was too late. I mean, I just think we, as a nation, did not get on top of this like we should have. 
Right, right. Um, but um, yeah, that that has really affected me. But um, I'm still selling a few books here and there, which is um, you know, I'm thankful for that. I'm still advertising. You know, I'm just trying to get myself put out there, and that's why I'm just thankful for Brittany Miller for um this opportunity to you know speak about my book and to get myself out there. You know, social media can be. I mean, well, it is a powerful tool it can, right, in right. a positive and in a negative way. So I'm just thankful that I still yeah. have people that are interested in my book. Hopefully, you know, once everything clears, I can I can have an official, you know, book release party. But book re- yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And shout out to the Brittany Miller brand. Uh, Brought her up, you know. Yeah, she killing it, doing her thing. (laughs) Yep, she is. She she is an awesome individual, and I am so blessed to be able. I did some freelance while I was doing freelance writing for her, and I just decided to you know take a dive leap of faith and just put my trust in her to you know get myself you know get myself my image out there more, and I'm I'm so grateful for everything that she has done for me so far and I've only been with her for two weeks and I already, you know, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, more engagement with people following me on my social media platforms and I'm just grateful and appreciative of mm, that. That's dope. That's dope. So so when did your writing journey begin? I've always um I've always written, you know, poems and short stories. Um when I was a little girl. I love to read. Um that's something I got from my dad. My dad's an avid reader. And so I really? picked that up from him. And yes, um, my dad um reads all kinds of um, you know, books, newspapers, magazine articles. And I picked that up from him. And that's something that you really don't see, you know, in little kids now. And I'm just trying to, you know, bridge my daughter over into to have a love of reading also. But I love to read and um, I love to write. I've always written poems. I've always written short stories, you know, little, um, you know, scenarios and everything. And that's where my love of reading and writing came from. And as I got older, you know, I wanted to make a career out of that. Um, you know, and I was also interested in nursing. Like I said, my mother was a nurse, um, has been a nurse for years. She's retired now. And I wanted to, um, I really want to make a career out of writing, but I, um, you know, I, I got nervous, but mainly because, you know, you live in, I come from a small town and people expect you to do, you know, something that's really great. And, you know, a lot of people were just kind of frowned upon, um, you know, a writing feeling, oh, you'll never be successful in that. You need to do this, you or you need mm-hmm. to follow this type of path. And, you know, I, I, um, I, I was, I, I, I was kind of fooled that way. I know kind of, I was fooled that way. I, um, you know, I didn't, I took a path where I didn't want to make my parents upset. I mean, I, and, you know, I, I just stopped writing um for you for a little while even when I was in school while I focus on you know going into that traditional college thing of biology pre-med or stuff like that well you know life happens I got pregnant with my son 
you know, my junior year in college. So I moved back home and I, that's when I decided to pursue, you know, a nursing career. I started out as a CNA. I was CNA for six years. Then I went on and got my LPN um, license. I was, um, got pregnant with my daughter while I was in LPN school. So I finished school and had her while I was in school saying, you know, oh really? people were just, yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look back on that and I'm like, God kept me the whole time because right. that's, that's, that's really something to get come over. And then I put you went on and um got my RN degree and that's where I'm at right now. And just working in the medical field, you know, you have to have an outlet. It, the stuff that you see day in, day out, it gets stressful to you. And so mm-hmm. you have to find ways to relieve yourself of that or to get away from that type of reality. And that's when I started back picking up, um, you know, my writing. I did some poems. I started drawing back a little bit. And that's where I, um, uh, I pretty much got the idea to write my book, um, you know, after dealing with a particular patient, African-American male, um, who was 23 years old and was just put on dialysis. Mm. And I mean, wow. yes. So that in self, that, you know, that itself is devastating to be 23 years old and having in-state renal disease going on dialysis. And as African-Americans, you know, we... We have been taught to not show our feelings, you know, to not um, to deal, not not to be so vocal about um, our issues and our mental, um, our mental health. Um, you know, a lot of people in our community think that mental health is a sign of weakness right. or a mental diagnosis is a sign of weakness. And a lot of people don't seek help for that. They'd rather go you know, the church or they depend on some kind of faith, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there's other avenues. Absolutely. We have that, um, that we have, there's other options. And I mean, you have to get, um, you have to seek some other help outside of the religious, um, the religious aspect of mental health. Um, and, the, the issue with that is, you know, not only do we have that stigma in our community, we're also stagnant or by just the fact that there's a lot of um, healthcare workers or we who don't take our issues seriously. I yeah, mean, there's yeah, yeah, so yeah. many disparities. There's there's so many disparities in healthcare where black people are do not receive the kind of care, the kind of help, the insurance that they don't need. And it's because we live, most of our African-American communities live under the poverty level where we don't have health insurance, where we don't have access to mental health, to mental health and, um, you know, those type of therapies. It's just, um, you know, we're, we're working nine to five for pennies and we just can't, uh, we're not able to, and then the discrimination that we deal with and the racism that we deal with on top of that just makes our mental illnesses 
worse. We're always labeled as being angry or right. aggressive or um, having all of these attitudes when, but you don't take the time to actually get down to the root of the problem. And it's, it stems back from, you know, slavery days. We were taught not to show emotion. We were right. getting our behinds be right. out there in the cotton fields and getting smacked around or uh, our women being raped, our men being tortured and sodomized. We were still expected to do what we were forced to do and not show any type yep. of emotion. And that has just carried on still into our communities into 2020. And I think that's sad. Oh, it, it really is sad. And so, um, I mean, I, I may sound like I'm ranting, but you know, this, this is very passionate to me because I see this a lot in all of my, um, especially my African American patients, patients. And I really think that, you know, once you, once you have good mental health, your whole physical being changes. You, you take better care of yourself. You do what needs to be done to have optimal health. And I really think mm. that's important that we address um, the stigmas and the taboos of stuff that goes on in our community. But, right. So... Um, it's just, and, and that's what made me write that book because this young man that I encountered tried to commit suicide mm. and, um, you know, all of the other doctors were like, well, you, you just need to do this and you just need to do that. And, you know, that's, that's not the, that, that's, that's not how you get to the root of the problem. You need right. to actually take the time to talk to the person find out what's going on with him and get him the help and you know and as a nurse as a healthcare worker I have to advocate for my patients and that's what I did I you know I've got him the mental health and got him into the mental institute that he really needed the mental um resources that he needed to overcome this and to take better care of himself not only mentally but physically mm, that's amazing Yes. That is amazing. Now, now going back to when you first, like you said, when you first developed that passion for writing, although your journey has taken you to a successful career path, how were you able to push through that negativity and that doubt of writing wasn't the answer at that point in terms of career wise? And t to the point oh. now where you got to mm -hmm. it. <laughs> um, well, it, it, it just kind of, I had a awakening moment for myself. I have always been the type of person where I was just, I was always concerned about what people thought about me. Right, right. And, a lot of um, people. you know, all, yeah, a lot of people were there. And I was up in that age, even as, you know, way beyond into my adult years, I was just nervous about what other people would think of me or um, how I would be judged by other people. And then, you know, I got into this mode um, afterwards where um, I was into a, into a relationship that didn't work out. And so, you know, I guess just having that 
happened to me. I was just at the point I was like, you know, to hell with it. I don't care what people think. This is what I'm going to do. Mm. This is where I am at in my life right now. I mean, the older I got, um, my talk, the my tolerance for foolishness just got less and less. So I just decided, I said, forget it. I'm just going to do what I want to do, what I've always dreamed about, what, I, what I'm passionate about. And so I just, and that's where it all started. And that started back in um, 2018 because that's when I started writing the book. I mean, I was still going back and forth with um, my decision to go on to um, get my bachelor's degree in nursing, which I do plan on doing, but it's just not something that I'm going to work on right now because I'm really passionate about, you know, my writing career. So um, I got through to a um, young lady named Odessa White, and she owns her own publishing company and mentoring company out of um, based out of Philadelphia, and that's who I hooked up with. I just happened to see her on Instagram, and so she really pushed me and encouraged me to come out of that shell to, you know, execution over excuses. That's basically her model, and mm. that's the model that I started following for myself and my life, and so I was able to push through and write this book in four months. Wow. Uh, now, now, were you surprised? Were you surprised? Because four months—that's that's quick. Um, that's that's real good. That is quick. Spot. Yeah. How, how do you yes, stay focused, especially for people like me that get writer's block and procrastination kicks in? How do you stay focused enough to get it done? I pretty much stay focused. Um, see, with my my thing is, you know, with dealing with two kids that were in school, you know, at the time I was writing this, I went um. You know, it's a lot, lot of late nights, early mornings. I would wait for them to go to sleep. And that's when I started writing my book. And on, on days that I had to get up, you know, early in the morning to go to work, I would get up like two hours before I had to be to work and just write some more. That oh, was really? my focus. Yeah, so it, it, it was rough. I mean... Having to get up so early, but you know, that's how I was able to focus on getting, um, writing my book, you know, getting the ideas down and getting the book written, you know, in the short amount of time that I did. I thought, what was your original goal? Um, you wrote your book. My original goal is to just reach out to people to break this the stigma of mental illness in the black community, especially amongst, you know, our our teenage boys and girls, because, um, you know, teenage years are just hell for them. You know, they're going through that, those hormones, they're going through those changes. You know, you got peer pressure from your other friends to do this, to do that, yep. to, you know, you're, you're making friends, you're creating friends, or you're trying to impress, um, you're doing stuff to impress other people. I mean, it's very stressful, and that can be, you know, mentally exhausting on teenagers. And that's what my book is about. You know, it's based on a 
black teenage basketball player who suffers from mental issues. Um, you know, he has a, um, my main character, Thomas, he has a father who's very, you know, demanding or he, um, in this case, he was a former NBA player himself and he's very demanding on his son, you know, following in his footsteps and going to the NBA himself. But the son is just, you know, he, he wants more out of life than just basketball. Um, he really wants to go to school and focus on, you know, mental health and, um, because his brother, he has a brother in the book, Manny, who suffers from, um, autism. So he's very interested in, you know, being a counselor to those children in those situations. But, you know, he's feeling all this pressure from his father, from his friends to be this great NBA basketball player. And so he has a hard time coping with that. So he finds other ways to cope with that instead of talking to someone about it. And so it's just important that we reach this book and the topics of the book just reach out to our young people who are who may be going through the same issues that Thomas is going through in this book. Right. Now the the book titled Mind Under mm-hmm. Troubled Water. I'm gonna read the synopsis real quick yeah. for the listeners. Um Thomas Jenkins, aka Big T, desires to follow in his father's footsteps of becoming an NBA player for the Atlanta Hawks. Interestingly, he is also intrigued with the life and involving behaviors of his younger brother, Manny, who suffers from autism. Torn between not wanting to disappoint his overbearing father, Thomas struggles to make a decision between being a professional player and focusing on his education, eventually wanting to become a counselor for children with disabilities. In addition to his personal problems, outside forces are determined to see that Thomas doesn't make it in the NBA let alone college. It seems that no one, not even his passive mother, seems to understand his frustration. The pressure of life becomes too much for him as he engages in behavior that could possibly end his basketball career and his life. Now, first things first, Mm -hmm. that book cover. (laughs) I want you to break this cover down for me because (laughs) I'm looking at a black man (laughs) that's falling underwater He's wearing basketball mm-hmm. attire, but he only has on one sneaker. He has a basketball in one hand, a book in the other hand. He also has a noose around his neck, bleeding from the head. There seems to be so much meaning behind every inch of the cover. Can you break it down for us? Yes. Okay, so um, first of all, I would love for you and everybody else to get this book because in the book, um, I just don't only address mental issues. Um, I also address a lot of things that happen in our community that we've come complacent to. And one of the things that I've addressed is um, incest. I've addressed rape. Um, And I've also addressed, you know, sometimes the lack of support from the church community so pretty much um the the co- the title of the book um or the cover of the book relates to those outside forces mm-hmm. those family secrets that Thomas um family has 
And it comes down to a boiling point at the end where, you know, he, um, those forces that, um, I mentioned earlier or that you mentioned earlier were trying to end may, that, you know, may possibly end his life or end his career. That's what that cover of the book, um, signifies. Like he's wanting to, you know, you know, him holding the book like he's in the basketball, like he's torn between his basketball career and, He's torn between, you know, a career as a counselor for children with disabilities. Mm. So that was um, the reason why I had that drawn that way. And um, the noose around his neck just symbolizes, you know, someone trying to end his life where they don't want him to do neither one of those. You know, they, they don't want him to succeed. They don't want him to do to be successful because of. um the type of person that he is and the determination that um he has to overcome or try to overcome you know his his um his issues but if you also look at the cover you'll see um you know little blue dots that represents um you know this very thing that he's doing to try to cope with his mental issues because you know he he can't talk about it or he has a hard time expressing it because he has a father who does not believe, you know, um, mental health, you know, mental illness is a problem. Right, you know, he right. has a passive mother who just doesn't, you know, really, she's just there, you know, she's just, and then, you know, the brother and, you know, he seems like no, it just seems like nobody cares about getting his brother the type of help that he needs for, you know, his autism. So, you know, he has so many battles going on with his personal life. And that's what I wanted to, you know, reflect in this cover. I mean, I know it's a little deep for people to understand, but once they read the book, they will know why the cover of that book is what it is. Right. And you did that. And I think it's so it's, it's, it's this, that cover stood out to me because it looks so much like art. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. a cover you will put on a shelf in, 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 it's art. Basically, if you took that cover, you blew it up, yeah. made it a painting. That's something that symbolizes so, so much of our community, so many people in our community and what they go through. That's why it, it, it's so unique. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, who who designed the cover? Thank you. I um the the um excuse me. I'm kind of tongue tied here. My mentor, the Odessa, she had um someone to design. I really don't. I wish I could tell you his name, but I don't know. I would definitely have to um get that information back to you. But he's the one who. She had a graphic designer to actually design the cover because, you know, I, this was basically my idea. He just kind of put it into a drawing. Right. So this is what I, this is my thinking. Yes. Now, now, what was that feeling when you first saw your cover? Like when you first saw your idea come to life? I was, I, I was just floored. I was amazed <laughs> because uh, I was just, uh, I, I literally started crying because you know, everything that I put into this book and I, and I put a lot into this book and basically this cover just pretty much expresses and it kind of 
sums up everything that this the whole story in you know in a picture. Mm. Now the, the the one thing that stood out when I when I when I start diving into this book, um, Manny, and obviously he's an autistic young yeah. man, but the encounters he has even even from the opening from chapter one um when he has his encounter with his brother thomas uh and then he has the encounter once thomas takes him out and then the encounters with with the friends how they're treating them both positive and negatively um the things that are being said around him and and about him mm-hmm. why was that important because i think that was that was very deep especially for people who don't understand and who don't have that much interaction with people with autism. I think this book really does a very good job of describing their the encounters and their experience. Well, that's what I wanted to touch on because, you know, a lot of people don't understand autism. You know, people think that, you know, autistic children meet this certain, you know, they have to meet or behave or meet this certain criteria. And that's... um you know, autism comes in many different spectrums. And, you know, you you have some that you have people with autism that can still speak, mm-hmm. that can still talk, they can still, um, you know, they're still productive in society. And then you have those who are nonverbal, like Manny was in the book, who still have their, um, you know, their, their mental, their, their sensory breakdowns. So just like there's, you know, a broad, um, you know, just like there's more to the black community than just athletes, rappers, you know, um, you know, media personalities. There's more to people with disabilities, or and specifically autism, than just, you know, are are your nonverbal kids those who act out? You know, they they come in different. And I think it's just important that we recognize that and we don't discriminate against, you know, disability of uh, children with disabilities based on what perception, you know, society has about them, just like, you know, society may perceive us, you know, stereotypes oh, within the African American community. It, it it was really important for me to touch on that and i hope i did a good job with that but, oh you definitely um, you definitely did you i definitely just, did i just I, i'm just really thankful for you know i i really feel like god really spoke to me right in this book because i'm just amazed at you know i read it over and over again i'm just you know i'm finding out a little bit more about myself and what i'm capable of doing Right. And, you know, just what and just having people to really understand. I'm hoping that, you know, people really understand the depths of this. And, you know, this, you know, what's going on in this book is parallel to what happens in real to what's going on in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So once you created this story. You hooked up mm-hmm. with that. You hooked up with the, the team you built got your cover design, got the book published. Once you received your first physical copy, explain the emotions. 
that you went there. Oh, it was just so emotional. I think my daughter was more emotional than I was because she was the one who opened the she, oh, she was really? the one who opened the box first. <laughs> yes, and she she wanted to she held the books and she wanted me to take pictures of her with the books. So that's what I did. And if you go on my social media page, you'll see where um you know she she was with the books but it was just so emotional for me and it was uh when i first posted on facebook when i put it it was just um uh, you know heart-wrenching that so many people wanted a copy right there and i didn't order enough copies you know but i because I, I sold out all, all of them that that same day oh, but, wow you know people have just been so supportive um of my books and you know the message that i'm trying to get out but to just sit there and hold your own book, you know, you look at it and like, wow, I did this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I did this. Just, and, you know, all this hard work and, you know, tears and everything, just so much emotion. And then you, you, you're you you're holding your, your masterpiece. And that's what I feel like this is to me. You know, I this is my first book. This is my masterpiece. And I'm just grateful and I'm proud of, you know, the work that I've done um to get to this point and you know the the support that I've had. Mm. So how is life as an indie author? How's the industry treating you? It's it's amazing and I mean, you know, I just try to um I I I'm I'm a part of a lot of um, you know, author groups and stuff on Facebook and Instagram, the support has just been great, you know, albeit all of the, um, you know, coronavirus thing going on. Right, so right. I'm just really ready to, you know, step things up and promote myself more and just, you know, have people to get to know me, not only as a person, but as an author. I mean, it's, it's a blessing to be able to say that I'm an author you know, writing this book and just, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing to me how, you know, everything just came not, you know, not with my timing, but with God's timing. And I just feel that, you know, everything, all of the ups and downs on this journey, everything happens for a reason. I'm just thankful that I'm at the place in my, you know, in my life right now even with the whole coronavirus thing. So, you know, there's always a silver lining in every cloud. So I'm just, I'm thankful for everything. What what is one piece of advice you would give to an aspiring writer? Someone who's out there who has the passion, who has the love for writing, but they're on the fence. What's one piece of advice you would give them? I, I would just tell them to take that leap of faith, jump, go for it. That's that direct leap of faith, that's what I had to do, not only to, you know, break myself out of that chain of, you know, just not just depression, but, you know, so being so worried about what other people think, but you have to do it for yourself. You have to live, you know, your life the way you see fit and, you know, whatever you want to do, you always have to put 100% into it, you know, you may not have, um, you know, your close friends or your family members 
that will support you in the beginning, but you know, you have a whole lot of strangers and that's what I'm, and that's where I'm feeling the love at right now. I mean, my, I do have a few family friends, few family members and friends, but it's the love of people that I've never, you know, would everything I would encounter mm-hmm. that's been supportive of that's been supportive of me. And I'm just thankful to Odessa, Brittany. I know another off that I follow on Instagram. She just bought my book a couple of days ago. It's a support of outside forces. That's just it's it's a beautiful thing. And the you know the four close friends that I do have, they've always supported me from the beginning. They still have. They still will just like I support them and their business. So it's just, it's just taking a leap of faith. Right. You know, you doing your best and, you know, God will meet you the rest. So screenwriting, what's the, what, where the interest for screenwriting coming at and, and being a director? Oh, I've always, yeah, I'm actually working on that right now. Really? Um, There's a guy, Um, yes, I'm working on that right now. Um, J.D. King is a guy based out of here, um, Orlando Christian. Um, he owns his own, um, Christian, um, production company, Free Souls. And I just, um, I reached out to him. All I wanted to do was just come on the set with him to, to see how, you know, a re- recording of a video or a movie works because that's what I eventually want to get into. And, <clears throat> not only um did he give me the opportunity to write three scripts i'm actually going to be directing um all three movies for these scripts oh, so wow. it just yes it, it's mind-blowing <laughs> like thank you <laughs> thank you i mean it's just mind-blowing how to me you know god puts to me god puts just he puts people in your path you know, for, um, for certain reasons. Right. And I'm thankful for it. I just got finished, um, writing my first script, um, Lyft and I already got the two characters and just two main characters. And so we're supposed to be starting filming in a couple of weeks. So I'm grateful for that. And my other two movies, um, I'm about to finish writing those and, uh, we're going to be filming those really soon. So, um, shout out to JD. I, I'm just so thankful for him for, um, you know, allowing God to lead his path, you know, direct his path and to, you know, give him the insight to allow me to even do this with no type of experience. You know, someone coming from a nursing field into a whole nother, you know, spectrum of life. It's right. just, it's amazing. And I'm just blessed for every opportunity. And I'm definitely not going to take it for granted. I'm just, grateful now, now how was that transition for you from writing a novel to writing a screenplay because it's so different how was that transition it's it is <laughs> it's very different um and i'm still you know trying to get the hang of 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 writing a transcript but i have met you know some amazing people along the way who have um you know are giving me tips on how to write a trans or on, on how to write a screenplay and how to put, you know, those type of things, because it is totally different. Um, it, It's a total different, you know, um, vibe with that. So I'm just, I'm learning, and um, I'm glad to be surrounded by people who have just been really patient and very knowledgeable and, 
you know, successful in their own right, just showing me the ropes of the film and directing industry. So I'm I'm just really grateful for that. All right. Now, can we expect to see Mind Under Troubled Waters hitting the big screen for you? Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm going to speak that into existence. There we go. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I definitely, yes, I, I definitely would love to see. I mean, any author would love to see their movie, their book turn into, you know, a movie. And I, I'm definitely looking forward to mine being up on the big screen. Absolutely. So I'm just. <laughs> Yes. So besides all these, you got so many amazing things going on. <laughs> so besides, obviously, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. So besides, obviously, planning the launch and working on the films, what else can we expect from you? Um, I <laughs> a whole lot. Um, I'm actually getting ready to start a um, you know, a, a photography class next month with um Shooters Camp out of Atlanta so I'm just really trying to get nice. more gain more knowledge about my craft and perfect it so so I will definitely be um hopefully I'll probably be starting my own photography videography business soon you know you just don't know you never know with me I'm just I'm kind of just versatile right right in that manner and I and I'm just I thank God for you know the talent that he's blessed me with and I'm going to use that as long as I'm on this earth, and I'm just thankful for that. Now, tell everybody where they can order the book at, where they can find you on social media, how they can get in contact with you. Okay, so um, my social media handle is um on Instagram is Sarah Carmel, and they can go to www.amazon.com/slash Sarah McGriff. That takes you directly to my website where you can purchase my book. Um, they can look me up on Facebook under Sarah Carmel McGriff. Um, they can look me on Twitter under S Carmel. And, you know, I, I, I use all three social media platforms. So it's just, um, or they can, if anybody wants to reach out to me or, you know, invite me for a interview, um, they can also go on um at Mrs. Brittany Miller under Instagram and that's my publicist, so they can reach out to her or they can look on my page. I do have a link to her page on my Instagram um site. So All right. This has been the Fiction Addiction Podcast. And that was Sarah McGriff. Sarah, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Fiction Addiction Podcast. Make sure you visit fictionaddictionpodcast.com for links on everything we talked about today, as well as awesome resources, additional tips, and fiction addiction merchandise.